0: Hi, this is Bernard Zimmerman. And Philip Wurther. Welcome to our podcast series, Virtual Leadership Development, how to master the new normal.
1: And a warm welcome from my side as well. In this series, we cover a range of topics that all have an influence or impact on leadership development and all its applications in a virtual context. Today is our 12th episode. And the next theme on our agenda is rules of engagement. However, this is quite an important topic. So we will talk about this in today's, as well as in our next episode, as we really want to dive deeper into what ROE really is and why it is so important.
0: Why do we call it ROE?
1: Well, normally we talk about ROI. The I Mm -hmm. being investment. And it is accepted and obviously vital for business that we have a return on investment. However, equally important is how we engage with each other in order to get a return on that investment.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it is the how we engage with each other that really influences and secures that return. Rules of engagement is what enables us to do that. And that is why when we call it ROE, it's just a reminder that return on engagement is just as important as a return on investment
0: people always say why do we need that absolutely it may be logical
1: but that's not how we show up as human (laughs) beings our behavior is normally all over the place and not necessarily very constructive if we are not aligned on how we engage and what is
0: important for us indeed in our experience there are two key topics that are particularly important here and need to be addressed specifically. One is vulnerability and fear, and the second one is trust.
1: Yes, Bernard. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about circle of safety, trust, and how to build the foundation. And in our next episode, how to create alignment and the essential themes that need to be covered in that alignment. But I want to start with a safe space or a circle of safety. The official name for that, and I'm sure many of you have heard it, is psychological safety. Personally, I prefer circle of safety, which I'm sure all of you have seen Simon Sinek's video. And Simon in his video says that if people feel safe, the natural reaction is to trust and to cooperate. My experience is slightly different my experience, and this is literally from doing this in hundreds of workshops, is that if people feel safe in a circle of safety, the natural reaction is to trust and collaborate. And collaboration is quite a bit stronger than just cooperating.
0: So Philip, just explain a bit what the difference for you is between cooperation and collaboration, that it's clear? I, I have an idea, but I just want to hear what your idea is. What, what is the separation between the two? If we
1: take the situation that we're in, we're in a virtual meeting. So cooperation is that we're going to talk about specific topics, or we are going to do specific exercises, etc. So we're going to take part in that, and everybody is going to do more or less what's expected of them. That's cooperation. Collaboration, is when we are able to let go of our fears and jump in and start sharing and becoming creative together and solving problems together, where there is no halt back on what is possible. And that's mm. where we really become a team. And that is really where we become extremely effective and efficient in what we do and how we do it. And by the way, we also build great relationships when we're busy doing that. Yes. For me, you need to do that right up front because if you don't create that circle of safety, it's not going to happen on its own. A little while ago, you talked about vulnerability and fear and trust. When we come into a virtual meeting, same as a normal meeting, we are feeling vulnerable. So we use subconsciously everything that we have to protect us and to stop us from interacting, even though our intention may be the opposite.
0: That reminds me just on one key element with vulnerability and fear how that's been triggered and that the real strong need for trust is that we know from our experience working in online platforms or virtual meetings that there is an effect that's called amplification. So especially in the beginning negative behavior is amplified and that can trigger more on the fear and enhance that they feel vulnerable And through that amplification, in the same way, on the positive side, the need for trust is much stronger right at the start when you start working with people and you want to bring them into a collaborative mind. Bernard, absolutely.
1: That circle of safety, everybody needs to be included. And you have to spend enough time on that. It has to be deep enough for it to really work. You know, trust is a strange thing. We can't touch it. We can't buy it. It's there or it isn't. And if we lose it, it's really difficult to get it back. But boy, oh boy, when the trust is there, magic can happen. So I would rather spend too much time and make sure that the circle of safety exists through rules of engagement rather for it to be just too superficial
0: I want to bring in another point from the perspective of the leader of the workshop, the leader of the team. When you think about how to build trust as the leader of that workshop or that team, you have a role. And based on Stephen Covey's approach on trust in his book of Feed of Trust, there are a couple of elements one should take in consideration when interacting with people online, starting a workshop or Mm -hmm. working with a team. And he actually takes four elements that are important to build trust very quickly. He starts with self-trust, meaning that you need to really have your trust in yourself, your self-confidence. At the same way, he also points out that character builds trust in interaction. And that's about the intent we come Mm -hmm. in with and the integrity we show up with at the start, or even in the preparation of when we start interacting. The third element he brings in is the competence we show up with, what we bring in, how good we are in the interaction. And then the last one he brings in, that will probably only work out in a workshop later, is the results that people can actually see. Okay. They can trust you as the leader, as the facilitator to build that trust in a much quicker way.
1: In my experience from doing rules of engagement, all of those points that Stephen Covey mentions are covered. And actually the results start happening very quickly because if people see that others hold themselves to the rules of engagement, that's the result, they keep to that as well. And that is where everything starts shifting. So results Mm. for me happen very quickly. It's literally that if you build this foundation, all four of those elements are actually automatically covered. It's the approach that you do Mm -hmm. that helps people reflect on that, about what's important for them and what creates fear and tension for them. You know, I'll give you a quick example. I was recently doing an online workshop as a participant and the facilitator for this whole day workshop just did one slide with about six points, rules of engagement, and just put the slide up for about five seconds and said, is that okay with everyone? And everybody said yes. Now, were people aligned behind that? Absolutely not. As the experience through the day showed that by the end of the day, in one of the exercises, there were only two people participating by that time with the facilitator. Everybody else had peeled off
0: by then. It's interesting to say that, Philip. I know the importance in some of the discussions I've experienced in the past. People said, well, you know, if you do that too long, then you lose a lot of time. Now, if you have a full day, there's one element. But if you have a shorter interaction online workshop, then how do you balance the time you need for that with the need to cover specific topics or an agenda?
1: Well, it obviously depends on is this the first time that a group is meeting? How long is the interaction? So if it's going to be a regular meeting that will happen over and over again, or it's part of a workshop that is ongoing, it's worth spending the time to really get into the depth of it. But, you know, even if it's just once, There are ways, and this is where your skills as a facilitator needs to come in. How are you able to get people to reflect Mm. effectively in the time that you have available? If the meeting is only going to be, let's say, an hour, you're not going to spend 55 minutes to do that. Most of the workshops that we are talking about run for much longer. Mm. And, you know, look at it in this way. If you spend 30 minutes doing this effectively that is something that will leverage the rest of your workshop because it's going to run throughout the whole day. Mm -hmm. So it is vital. For me, the rule of thumb is I allow myself to be led by the participants because Mm -hmm. sometimes they have things that they need to talk about and they need to talk about it. And sometimes that carries on longer than I would prefer. I would rather spend the time with them and really get to the depth of things and really focus on why we are having this conversation or meeting or workshop than to get to the end of the workshop and realize, but hold on, somehow I've lost 70% of the people. They're not present. They're not there anymore. They are not engaging. You know, it's either superficial or you have to do it in depth. That takes preparation. You need to know how you're going to approach that so that you can use your time as effectively as possible.
0: So when you talk about depth, it takes depth. What do I have to think about when I listen to you? What is deep? If you say to somebody, we're going to spend
1: the whole day talking to each other, what's important for you to be able to really take part and to give your full attention and to put everything into it that you need? What's important for you? Now I'm not telling them what needs to happen. They will be telling me. Mm -hmm. Now what they don't know, but what I know is because I've done it hundreds of times, 90% of the topics are the same. Respect, listening, trust, honesty, confidentiality. These are the key points that come in over time and again, and people need to talk about that, what that means. So you need to create a space for them to talk about. If you don't have that much time, you need to allow a topic to surface and to get a broad alignment on that topic as quickly as possible. But if you do have the time, and for instance, if this is an ongoing workshop or this is an ongoing series of meetings, you need to get much deeper into that so that people really understand what is the value and what is the behavior. For an ongoing team, you need to refine that rules of engagement so that it clearly focuses on what is the engagement and what are the behavior norms that we are going to associate with that engagement.
0: It just reminded me when you said that, you know, especially for our ongoing team, reminded me of the, you know, the four phases in the team dynamic. It's actually the norming. We all, when we facilitate a team, we say it's important to spend enough time on the norming before the team can actually mm-hmm. go into performing, the storming and performing, that this is the important part, spend sufficient time that people are really start aligning what's important to be of value for each other and to be able to collaborate very openly.
1: Absolutely. The one thing that, because it's unpleasant, we avoid it. How do we deal with disruptive behavior? Now, Mm -hmm. if you approach it in this way, you're actually able to get everybody online so that everybody is clear what is the behavior that we actually want to see. What is the intention that we want to see? The way that I normally talk about this is if we have a group you have a silent majority and you have a vocal minority. Mm -hmm. The people who always talk. Now, sometimes this vocal minority can actually be quite disruptive and negative and sometimes even toxic. Now, they believe that everybody thinks the same way as they do, that's their assumption. Mm -hmm. And the people in the silent majority feel powerless because they don't have the voice or the power to bring out their voice and say, actually, I really dislike that. I really don't like if you continuously interrupt me. So what you effectively do by doing a proper rules of engagement is you give the silent minority a voice. And just using the same example again, We don't interrupt one person speaks that means now the vocal minority has to become very aware of actually most of the people in the group have a different perspective about what is constructive behavior than me and you start balancing it out
0: Mm. interesting enough with a disruptive behavior from my experience you have that behavior in a face-to-face in a room as well. You have to address it, I mean. Why should a group have a facilitator if the facilitator is not addressing the disruptive behavior? I think it's it's interesting that you take it into the rules of engagement, address it before it happens, so you create the awareness that what you need to do in order to make it a valuable experience. And looking through the lens of virtual interaction, the disruptive behavior, you notice know, this, this vocal minority can actually be more dominant mm-hmm. uh, than the silent majority if you, as a facilitator, are not paying attention to that and address that, I, I like really the idea that you say, address also the disruptive behavior front, explore it, and then put it into the rules of engagement. Well, you
1: know, if you do that, people are on notice about what's accepted and what is not accepted. Mm. And what makes it a lot easier for you as a facilitator is that you know you can make a comment as opposed to now having to do a real intervention because something's happening. Mm. All you have to say is, guys, when we spoke in the rules of engagement this morning, we talked about blah, blah, blah. That's not mm. what I'm observing. Can we start looking back at how we want to engage with each other. Now, this is respectful. And you don't have to come down on one or two people with a ton of bricks. Mm. But what I also find is that participants now have a voice. And they are able to really start voicing what they feel and how they feel, because they feel safe. What I find is that the people who are very reticent to take part in a discussion are now much more open to really take part. And for me, this is quite magical because literally what you're doing is you're taking away vulnerability and you're replacing it with trust. Mm -hmm. And that creates a tool that leverages the impact of the whole of your workshop. That's why for me, this is the magic tool of running a workshop or running a program. Online, it's for me even more important than it is offline. Indeed. But maybe just to make it very clear for people, you know, if you just use one question, that's almost all you need to really start doing rules of engagement. And that question is, what's important for you in this workshop? How do you want to engage with each other? And whatever answer comes up, just Keep putting it back to them. Why is this important for you? And if you really do it with curiosity and honesty, they will tell you mm. and everybody else will listen and that will change the tone of the workshop.
0: You covered a lot on, on disruptive behavior as a partly surprising, but a, a great element to be in the rules of engagement discussions. And you touched a bit on behavior What else, what we need to keep in mind if we have this alignment process at hand?
1: Well, Bernard, for me, you know, it all happens automatically in the process. But the things that come up, I could divide into two areas, values and behavior associated with those values. So for instance, if you say to people, what's important for you? Well, listening is important for me, not being interrupted, is important for me. Okay, why is it important for you not to be interrupted? And they will tell you. So here, listening is about respect, which is the value. But listening itself is the behavior. And not mm-hmm. being interrupted is the disruptive behavior. You know, one of the things that immediately comes up is respect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why is respect important for you? And now people will give you all the different kinds of examples. And if you ask different people, they will talk about different things, but you will hear the essence of what they share. And it's about talking about that essence, having it out in the open and understanding that we are actually aligned on the energy of this. That is what creates the power. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is you have to ask the question, they will tell you, and you just have to deepen.
0: Great. Thank you. Before we leave you, I want you to reflect on how do you experience virtual sessions when there's no alignment on how people show up, how they behave, and the way they interact with each other? Ever had a sense of frustration in such situations? That's it from me. Thank you, everyone.
1: And a big thank you from me as well. But finally, before we go, if you'd like to connect with us or share your insights and feedback, please feel free to do so either on linkedin.com, Bernhard Zimmermann at contact, that is C-O-N hyphen T-A-C-T, or Philipp Boerter. We're both based in Germany. Or connect via email at philip at or Bernhardt.Zimmermann at contactinternational.com, that is c-o-n hyphen t-a-c-t hyphen international.com. We look forward to connecting in our next episode. Thank you and goodbye.